You're listening to Keeping It Real with Janine, your guide to living an authentic, healthy life. This is Janine, and I want to thank you for tuning in to my podcast. This is part three of our series on chronic conditions. The first part, episode 19, was on toxins and detoxifying. Part two, episode 20, was on inflammation. And this episode, part three, is on methylation. Now, many of you listening may not have heard about methylation. According to Dr. Flory, methylation is incredibly important for our health and well-being and plays a major role in chronic conditions. So we are going to rely on Dr. Matthew Flory's expertise today and learn something about methylation and how it might apply to both you and me. Hey Matt, how are you doing? Hey Jean, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for asking and thanks for having me here uh, on this series. This has uh, been a fun one and today's today is especially close to my heart. Uh, I like this topic. Yeah, I know it is. And I've been anxiously awaiting because when I talk to people about the fact that we're doing an, an episode on methylation, um, pretty much no one has ever heard of methylation. Maybe about two years ago, I first uh, became acquainted with the idea of methylation with a, a naturopath in Portland. She's quite keen on how methylation affects our health and well-being. And you've done an awesome job of talking about the role of toxins and how our body detoxifies itself, how we can help the body detoxify and the, the, the pathways of detoxification. We've discussed the role of inflammation, which seems to be an incredibly important topic that I don't think most people really think about when it comes to chronic conditions. And I believe you said in the last episode that Nine out of 10 chronic conditions have an underlying um, etiology of inflammation. So now um, we're going to talk about methylation and what methylation is. And you know what? Why don't you start out by letting us know how did you get into this whole topic? Yeah, so I remember back to uh, as I was really just getting in and starting coursework uh, functional medicine. I was out at a conference. One of my mentors was uh, lecturing out in Denver. And he brings up this word that I'd never heard of, uh, methylation. The context with which he used this word was to refer to some one of the driving factors, one of the, the, the basic underlying factors that drives things like autoimmune conditions, cancer, cardiovascular disease, and on down the line. I mean, he named the big ones, right? So I kind of looked around the room, and, you know, everybody's kind of doing their uh, little typing thing or, or, or writing down, jotting down this and that. And I looked around, and I looked for anybody that had a look of just sheer surprise like I did, like, you did Anybody else just hear him say that, how fundamental this one topic must be um, to have its hand in all these chronic conditions. And I didn't really see any uh, any other reactions like that, but it certainly struck me. And 
it right then and there, I said, well, I've got to understand this. Uh, as I got to a place where uh, I started digging deeper into it, realized that it was a very vast and, and honestly rather confusing uh, topic. And so I kind of dedicated myself to understanding it the best I could, helping to break it down from the complicated terms into terms that somebody that was dealing with these conditions uh, might be able to re really take hold of and understand for themselves. So I ended up creating a, a methylation support group here in in St. Louis, mm -hmm. started doing uh, groups and meetings, and, and that was kind of my onset into a, a lot of the uh, work I do around the community and with people at this point. Okay. So it does sound like from what little I know and from what we've discussed, it sounds like a pretty complicated topic. So I know I and our listeners will be very grateful for all you can do to simplify it for the non-technical medical person. <laughs> Absolutely. I will do my best for you. Awesome. So let's start then with what the heck is methylation? Sure. Methylation is specifically the transferring of a carbon atom with three hydrogens attached to it from one molecule to another okay and mm -hmm. this happens in every cell of the body okay it happens more than a billion times every minute throughout your body wow that's right. I, that's so kind of hard to actually comprehend I mean, it is, it is. <laughs> Numbers like that are staggering, aren't they? <laughs> yes, they are. So it sounds like, I mean, from just the little that you've said so far, this is an incredibly important process in our bodies. It is, it is, it is, it is. And, you know, when we have referred to the process of epigenetics and uh, this sort of interaction with our environment and the kind of very much ingrained in the functional conversation, that's where we're talking about when we're talking about methylation. Okay. Uh, and now let's let's hold on yep. a moment here. What is epigenetics? Let's define everything just in case somebody doesn't know. Sure, sure, sure. Epigenetics is our it, you might almost think of it as our new understanding of genetics. When I was in undergrad, the way they were teaching genetics, the understanding of that was uh, you know, <laughs> one way I describe it to people is it was still kind of of the method of the old Mendelian genetics, Gregor Mendel, right? Where, mm -hmm. you know, you'd have these Punnett squares and you'd be crossing a red flower with a white flower and you get a, a white, a red, and two pinks, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And we had this understanding of genetics that was, you know, very kind of mechanical, you might almost say, mm -hmm. right? Okay. Well, what we found out is that it's actually, in reality, much different and one would say a bit more complicated than what we originally thought. Which I think is understandable. I mean, you look back practically at any concept in uh, the evolution of human history and understanding and knowledge, and what we used to think, we either proved it wrong or we adapted that idea, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> so, but I, yeah. So I think this genetics, uh, this new understanding of genetics, is right falls right in uh, in step with that understanding. So epigenetics is uh, the the realization or the uh, what's the right word? Uh, it's the understanding, epigenetics is the understanding that we do have our own 
genetic individuality, it doesn't stop there, mm -hmm. right? How does our body interact with the environment? What influence does the environment have on those genetics? How do, uh, does our genetic response occur? Then is the way we change uh, as individuals with this combination of genetics with our environment. Does that make some sense? Yeah. So let's see if I'm hearing you correctly. So the genetics, our, our genes, or our genetics aren't static throughout our life. In other words, what I think I'm hearing you saying is that what the, the genetic makeup that we're born with isn't necessarily the genetic makeup that we end up with in later life, that things change yep. due to environmental factors, et cetera. Yeah, th that's right. That's right. Hmm. Basically, uh, us as organisms, we can we can change, and this modification uh, it happens even in our genetic expression, uh, and it alters the genetic code itself. It's driven by the environment and the aspects of the environment we choose, or sometimes, I guess, you know, in in the uh, in the reality of toxicity and toxins in our environment, sometimes we don't choose to have them around us, but. Uh, if you talk about diet, you know, maybe that's we choose to, we choose our dietary, our nutritional environment. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a toxic environment. Uh, these sorts of things, they are around us. They're in our environment. They have an influence our, on our genetic expression and our the genetic code can alter itself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like something that we can use to our benefit if we know how. You bet. Just <laughs> there is. Uh, yeah, just there is disadvantageous or undesired epigenetic change, we can also turn the tables on that by uh, properly controlling our environment, by detoxifying, by taking some of the electronics or some of, you know, cleaning our water out, cleaning our air supply, things like this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. All right, take it away then. Sure, sure, sure. Well, if we go back to that one billion number, you know, we discussed how it's, you know, it's it's tough to comprehend that size of, of, of a number, but the reason why that number gets up that high so quickly and why there is that many chemical reactions involving methylation, uh, it's the second most common chemical reaction in our body. Okay, The only other reaction that's more common is phosphorylation, which is what we use to create our energy mm -hmm. for our cells. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of understandable. That one would be you know way up there, but uh, then methylation is number two. And the reason why it's number two is because it's involved in activating and deactivating hormones, uh, activating and deactivating neurotransmitters. It's involved in our detoxification processes. Uh, one of the phase two liver detoxification uh, processes, we've talked about that on, on, a, on a previous um, uh, interview and recording. Uh, one of the phase two detoxification processes is methylation. But then also, it's incredibly important for even the individual detoxification of all the cells of the body individually besides just the liver itself as an organ. Mm -hmm. So you start adding all these things up, and there we get to the, uh, the, 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 the billion number. Mm -hmm. Okay, so my memory here. So you said, so methylation has to do with a carbon atom and, was it three hydrogen? Is that what you said? Yep, three hydrogen. Wow. Okay, I remembered. So, yeah. yeah, and this is happening in every cell of the body. So, mm. so what is transporting this carbon atom with these attached hydrogens? What, what, what is it 
what is it doing? How does it work? I'm trying to sure, visualize sure. it in my mind. Yeah, there's a the the primary methylator of the body is something called SAM E, S A M E or S adenosyl monophosphate. Mm-hmm. And I believe I've taken that. Why did I take that anyway? <laughs> sure, because it's the primary methyl donor. It it is the primary molecule in our body that can take and it can it has let's just uh for our purposes, we'll just say it has an extra carbon atom with three hydrogens. And it's going to take it and donate it to a precursor hormone that is an inactive hormone. And when it donates that, voila, now we have an active hormone or neurotransmitter uh, or, or what have you. Oh, so this, so, okay, so the, I, I think I'm getting it now. So, so this carbon atom with these three hydrogens attached activates hormones and enzymes too or or Uh, yes it it, it activates all kinds of different molecules in 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 the body enzymes generally enzymes are generally the thing that is helping to transfer the carbon atom right okay Uh, um but uh in in terms of a a lot of the 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 chemical substances the compounds in our body those are what are generally accepting this carbon uh, atom with three hydrogens. I, I often, again, because we're really trying to break all this down to the simplest forms, and you know, even that's a bit technical. There, I, I really relate it very often to uh, maybe to a sport that you know people have seen before: basketball, soccer, things like this. Mm-hmm. In those sports, you can't score if you don't have the ball, right? <laughs> if you're not in possession of the ball, and so. The ball, as I as I relate it, is the ball is the methylated thing, right? Got it. And so, you know, in basketball, you know, you got the guy that dribbles it down the, the court. They call him the point guard, and then he passes the ball. Well, passing the ball to another player is kind of like methylating, and then that player is active, and and that person has the the, the chance to score, you know, a point. So, got it. Uh, that's a pretty good uh, analogy. Thank you. Yeah, no so, problem. So without the SAMI donating um, a methyl, atom, what would we call it, a methylated atom? Uh, a methyl group. A methyl group. Okay, thank you. Okay, so if if SAMI for some reason can't do that and activate a hormone, does that mean that uh, a hormone that your body needs is, stays inactivated then? Yeah, that's right. And And, and honestly... If we talk about the genetic variations that can be uh, something that's lethal, right, and, and where a an offspring just can't survive the uh, the genetic problem, okay, mm-hmm. uh, one of those is certainly with the MAT uh, methionine transferase uh, enzyme that creates SAMe methylation is. Uh, even from just the way we've talked about it so far, it is extremely important for the viability of, of, of a life, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if we have a problem in our genetics that does not allow us to methylate properly, we're really, you know, that, that individual, it, it, that's probably not going to be a viable birth, let's just say. Okay. Mm-hmm. So let's say a person, for some reason or another, we haven't really gotten into 
yet what some of those reasons might be, but say that they're not methylating properly. What yeah. what kinds of things might a person notice symptom wise um, if that's the case? Oh boy, uh, that is a very broad question. Ah. Just because again, all of the autoimmune disorders, mm-hmm. right? Cancer, cardiovascular problems, depression, anxiety. You know, so our if our neurotransmitters to break it down, you know, to the to the big chunks. If the neurotransmitters aren't right, well then. We can have these emotional or quote unquote psychiatric disorders. So there's all kinds of things from chronic inflammation and having a chronic condition. Mm-hmm. I would say just even that broad to, to try to answer it as best as possible, having a chronic condition to having problems with uh, neurotransmitters and, and, and emotions, things like that. That's all that's all part of it. So it's, it's extremely broad, the types of things that people could notice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which makes sense when, when something is closer to the core of an issue, um, I would say it probably has a broader effect. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So is this something that is uh, found throughout um, the human condition? I mean, uh, is there any uh difference by say race or by sex or um who might have methylation problem uh-huh yeah uh so yes uh, i'll i'll say um we we definitely see various instances of this um by race and when we get into that kind of uh discussion i think it helps to say that the problem at, uh, in this discussion is that we regularly, regularly have alterations in our genetic code, you know, and, and what I mean by that is my father, my mother, they each have two copies, right, uh, of genes. I think a lot of us have heard this, and they're going to donate one of those to me, and mm-hmm. then so I get one of those from each of them, and Again, a nice, easy breakdown way of thinking of it is I might get a thumbs up from my father. I might get a thumbs down from my mother. And, mm-hmm. and, and this might be something we call a SNP, okay, or a single nucleotide polymorphism. It's an wow. alteration. <laughs> yeah, it, it's an alteration in that genetic code. And so what we find, and to get back to the question that kind of launched it into this, was we find that those alterations, those SNPs have different um, uh, percentages of occurrence, different incidences across different populations across mm-hmm. the world. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Okay, interesting. So is there a, an approximate percentage um, that's known at this point of people who have a problem with methylation? If we're talking about pretty much the population that is going to be surrounding us in North America, we know that about 60% of the population has at least one SNP or this this change making the methylation of these genes, hormones, vitamins, all these processes we talked about. It makes that more challenging for about 60% of people, okay? and Okay, now is this something that has um, changed over the years? As far as how many people are affected, has it, is this something that is more prevalent now than maybe 50 years ago? Well, I would say yes, 
And the reason I kind of approach it like that, okay, is because if just the genetic component were the end of that story, then then that would be one thing, right? But the story doesn't end there because then these see the end result of the gen, the genetic code is to translate and to produce enzymes, right? If you take a block of your genetic code, that is going to uh, be converted by by the cell, okay, in the nucleus. It's going to be converted into a, an enzyme, which is a protein, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. And so this enzyme is then what is known as a catalyst, mm -hmm. all right? Mm -hmm. If you look up the definition of these things, a catalyst is something that causes a chemical reaction to occur. It either makes it, it either makes it happen easier or it makes it happen at all in the first place. So what that is to say is that if these enzymes aren't formed right, well, then our chemical reactions aren't going to occur right. Right. Oh, got it. So where we get into our things getting worse as our as we go as as time goes on as the decades go on, I would we get into the again the interaction of our environment with these enzymes, and we get to the understanding that these enzymes, even ones that might be working more properly, can then be affected and blocked by outside influence. Our diet, our nutrition, toxins in our environment, things like this, right? And so as time goes on, we then tend to have these changes in our, in our, on our DNA. Okay. Mm -hmm. And we then pass along from parent to offspring, mm -hmm. either the thumbs up, the thumbs down, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so we get a thumbs up, thumb, you know, thumbs up, thumbs up. Uh, one generation, well, then we have these, we have, we have these alterations that happen and, you know, a generation all of a sudden might get a one thumbs up and one thumbs down. Mm -hmm. And we call that in genetics heterozygous. Mm -hmm. Okay. Where there'd be a thumbs up and a thumbs down. And that's going to change because the thumbs up enzymes will function more quote unquote. Let's, we're just going to use the word normally. Okay? okay. Although I do have some issues with that, uh, in detail, but to keep it simple, we'll just say, the thumbs up are going to be associated with more normal function. Mm -hmm. So we got this heterozygous, and ultimately, you could then have two individuals uh, have offspring where they both donated the thumbs downs, right? Mm -hmm. And now we have a homozygous thumbs down, or mm -hmm. homozygous maybe snips, right? And mm -hmm. so those enzymes are really going to be struggling, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And then... And then the biochemistry that those enzymes catalyze are really going to be struggling, okay? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Then you put into on top of it again, things like toxins. We'll refer to some specific ones like lead, mercury, aluminum uh, here and here in a little bit. But that can then alter the function of those enzymes even further. Mm -hmm. Got it. So it's a domino effect, really. It, yeah, it, it can be a domino type of effect. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, Matt, I'm really hoping that our listeners are getting as much out of this as I am. I am really finding this fascinating. So uh, let's see. Let's go into enzymes then. Talk a little bit sure. about about how enzymes are affected. 
Sure, yeah. So uh, so the, these enzymes, again, are really, that's the end product of what our genetic code is, is set up to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what we need to understand is our entire genetic code is not transcribed into enzymes, only small portions of it. And that's part of this epigenetic concept is that those portions that are transcribed, that's the thing that can change and alter how we uh, are responding to our environment, what enzymes we are producing in response to what's going on around us. And so these enzymes, they then, you know, again, we either have the thumbs up, thumbs down, what's working, what isn't. And then these enzymes also have to be stimulated by different vitamins, minerals, other nutrient cofactors such as, like, say, a, a, a CoQ10. We've heard of that very often uh, with cardiovascular concerns. CoQ10 is one of those things that has to have this methylation process to kind of be activated, right? Yeah. So we can kind of start and get into understanding now human condition uh, and, and variations of symptoms or disorders or how it dysfunctions, however you want to describe it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there's a couple of these enzymes that have been uh, more well-known in this conversation of methylation. Okay. This is a bit of the technical part, and it's hard not to be technical a little bit here. So if someone is taking uh, CoQ10 tablets or capsules, and they're not methylating well, they're probably just wasting the CoQ10 they're taking? You've heard this question of CoQ10 or ubiquinol, this mm-hmm. sort of a thing? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, it's th- that's kind of the same question that we get into when we're talking about folic acid versus the methyl tetrahydrofolate, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That folic acid is the inactive form, whereas the folate, the methyl tetrahydrofolate, is the active form. Sam E, again, that donor, mm-hmm. is involved in actually synthesizing CoQ10. So actually... Uh, you're somewhat thinking of it right, but uh, CoQ10 is not necessarily the inactive form. It's actually something that has been formed with methylation. Ah, okay. So I, I would say this, if you're not methylating well, then you certainly aren't forming CoQ10 well mm-hmm. in your body, mm-hmm. naturally. All right. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Yep. Okay. So supplements that have folic acid in them rather than folate, you're, if, if the folic acid is inactive, then your body has to do something, methylate it to make it active? Yes, and th- this is where we get into this, uh, this, this more technical discussion. Folic acid specifically has to go through seven or more conversion steps, kind of depending on how everything plays out, right? Mm-hmm. So... Uh, while it's true that in the past, in studies, folic acid was definitely associated with reducing neural tube defects, and this is certainly a positive thing, the fact of the matter is is that it is inactive in the human body, okay? Mm-hmm. And it must be converted to its active form, which is a big, long word, 5-methyltetrahydrofolate, uh, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this is what the MTHFR enzyme does right mm-hmm. mthfr has kind of become one of these buzzwords almost uh here over the you know more, more recent years and people will do a genetic test for mthfr about 50 to 60 percent of the population has at least one snip 
or alteration in FTHFR. So it's very common. Mm-hmm. Okay. 30% uh, of this have reduced activity. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's when there's a heterozygous SNP. You get 30% reduced activity of, of, in general of the overall enzymatic function, right? Okay. In this 50 to 60% of the population. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. And then about 10%, so a smaller amount of people don't have the heterozygous thumbs up, thumbs down, but they have the double thumbs down, the homozygous, right? Mm-hmm. And when this type of a double SNP is occurring, there can be up to 70% reduced activity of converting again the folic acid, uh, well, basically the last step, because MTHFR enzyme is the very last step of the, the kind of the seven or more that I referred to. Ah, okay, so okay. it's one of those steps. But if that's a problem, homozygous SNP, double thumbs down, then we, you know, get up to 70% reduced activity of that B vitamin conversion. And the reason why we hone in on MTHFR is because involved in the creation of this SAMe stuff. Now, it's not, you know, it's a couple steps down the line, and the next one we'll get into is MTR instead of MTHFR, and this has to do with uh, with some relationship to our B12 in our body, Mm -hmm. but very truly, the MTHFR is extremely important in ultimately producing the SAMe, which, again, is what's going to go out and activate all the hormones, neurotransmitters, and other sorts of um, cofactors in our body, okay? Mm-hmm. So it's really, really important, okay? There's, there's actually, there's two types. You might, you might say two types of MTHFR. Okay. Um, there's a 677, and this refers to, uh, this is just kind of the genetic references, but this is how people define these. So, uh, MTHFR 677 is one type. MTHFR 1298 is another. The 1298, you'll find uh, people talking about that and more relationship to serotonin and dopamine. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So one pass, you know, you might think of one cycle almost uh, is just the simple way we'll, we'll talk about it here. One cycle of the MTHFR 1298 is really efficient. It produces a serotonin and one dopamine from tyrosine and tryptophan. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so just one, one action of this enzyme can produce two different types of neurotransmitters for us. Right. Mm-hmm. And then it, it needs in terms of the com- the combination of chemical reactions and these, these cofactors and, and other nutrients, the 1298, uh, and the activated folate ke- uh, chemically process, uh, with a BH4, it's called. And the recycling of this BH4 is when it's used up, it becomes BH2. The recycling back to BH4 is one of these things that can be blocked by toxicity, specifically aluminum toxicity. Mm-hmm. So, and it's a little bit maybe, you know, on the periphery of our discussion, but I definitely want to bring it in since, you know, we've talked about toxins here very recently in this series. I think it's important to highlight where some of these toxins can mess up some of this function in our in our bodies. Yeah, it pulls it all together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the 1298. Uh, the 677 activity, um, MTHFR 677, is uh, where we are actually producing the methionine and then the SAMe, right? Mm-hmm. That major methylator systemically in our body. Mm-hmm. And uh, where we talked about that uh, that metaphor 
of the passing the ball around, right? Mm-hmm. Who's active at that point in time and can it do the job it's intended, intended to do, which is, you know, score. So, mm-hmm. Okay. I think that's becoming pretty clear. Yeah. So that's MTHFR and the product of MTHFR is this activated folate. Okay. okay. And so have, have you heard of homocysteine? We yes. talked about that mm-hmm. maybe in the past. Okay. Mm-hmm. So then our active folate, right, that our MTHFR has produced combines with homocysteine. And so somebody who has elevated homocysteine, this is a sign that you maybe you need to check out this MTHFR activity, right? Mm-hmm. If, because if we aren't producing enough active B vitamin of, of specifically folate B9, mm-hmm. if we aren't producing enough of it, well, then our homocysteine can build up. Right. Got it. Right. And so we can see elevated homocysteine. But homocysteine, along with the activated folate, are are chemically processed, we'll say, by another enzyme that's called MTR. All right. And this Mm -hmm. is what actually synthesizes methionine. And if we go back to how many people have this, well, 30 to 50 percent of the population have a SNP in this MTR enzyme. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so. Uh, we're feeding in homocysteine, we're feeding in the activated folate, and the uh, MTR enzyme, the other thing it must have to make this uh, processing of homocysteine and, 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 and folate turn into methionine, the other thing it must have is B12, okay? Mm-hmm. The story of B12, though, is the same as the folic acid versus folate. One's inactive, one's active. Cobalamin which we will see cobalamin very often in our supplements, just straight cobalamin, right. is an inactive form. The mm. methyl cobalamin, methyl again, methyl cobalamin is the active form. Okay? Mm-hmm. So we can have issues in whether we're able to create the active form of, uh, of B12. Uh, it relies on a, a, yet another enzyme. This process of activating that B12 can be blocked by lead, right? Mm-hmm. And implications there. So we have to have this kind of pass through that can be, a, can be influenced by different toxins, but it can all be also very often be influenced by are you a percent of percentage of the population that has a SNP in these enzymes? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So how do you find out? Right. Well. A lot of people I, I'll find are suggested by some medical doctors often to just do a test for MTHFR specifically. Okay, mm-hmm. there is a, there's been kind of a, an upsurge in the recommendation of MTHFR testing, and while that will give you the information on MTHFR, you know I've just mentioned another enzyme MTR and another one MTRR that's responsible for the B12 uh, that. If you don't know what's going on with those, well, your information that you get from the MTHFR test that you might do, there might be something influencing that, right? Mm -hmm. So what I like to do and what I recommend people do is to get a full genome test, get raw data, and then a practitioner that is very well-versed in nutrigenomics, which is what we're talking about right now. It's kind of Mm -hmm. the field we're talking about right now. Somebody who's well-versed, they're going to have resources. They're going to have outlets. Uh, You might even think of them as like apps, right? Computer Mm -hmm. programs that Mm -hmm. filter this raw data that is your entire genetic code 
And they're going to know where to look, what to try to pull out from that raw data so they can tell, hey, do we have a double thumbs up in this pl- in the, for enzymes here? Do we have a one up, one thumbs up, one thumbs down, or are we double thumbs down? And then they'll look at your toxic exposure. You know, is that further influencing things? They they might look at your uh, nutrient levels. Um, this whole uh, this whole uh, B12 activation also relies on do you have enough zinc in your body as a nutrient? So this person, this practitioner, is going to be able to take the big raw data file and pick out the important parts and then also know what to look at in your environment uh, so that they can put all this information together. Does that, does that, mm-hmm. does that help? Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Cool. Yeah. So you're talking about lead and aluminum. Um, yeah. What about mercury, since that seems to be a you know, pretty right. well-known topic? Well, all three of those can block that processing of your activated folate, your homocysteine, and using the methyl B12 all in combination to make your methionine, your SAMe, to, meth- to, to do the systemic methylation of hormones, neurotransmitters, and all these other compounds. Mm-hmm. So those three, lead, aluminum, mercury, are big ones when it comes to blocking this process of generating SAMe. And, 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 and hindering your methylation. Mercury specifically, if, if we talk about mercury, it's pretty amazing. Anybody who uh, wore contacts in the 1980s or 1990s, we've heard of thimerosal being used in vaccines, mm-hmm. but we heard a lot less about it being a part of the contact lens cleaner that everybody put on their contacts and then put back in their eyes. Oh, great. (laughs) I'm pretty sure I was one of those. Mm -hmm. You know, and a lot of my patients, a lot of my clients are. Um, Mercury showed uh, was in oral contraceptives in the 80s and 90s also. Mm. So there's a lot of these uh, these sources for these types of toxins that we were never really told. It was never really part of our common knowledge. And so, you know, especially with mercury, if you're somebody who has trouble sleeping, if you often wake up, you can't fall back asleep, well, then doing a focused mercury detox is a darn good idea. You know, if you get up many times uh, at night to go to the bathroom to, to urinate, if you have to uh, urinate through the, through the daytime uh, frequently, that's another sign of likely some mercury influence on, on the body. And so, uh, you know, when it comes to these specific toxins, lead, aluminum, mercury, and some others, there are specific ways you can support your body to detoxify from them. I don't want to get that mixed up with just kind of the, the, the kind of the generic way of thinking of detoxification, um, that, that often is thrown around in terms of just, you know, using that word. Well, I'm, I'm going to do a detox. Yeah. Okay. Great. But, you know, the detox where you're drinking some, you know, apple cider vinegar or some some apple juice mixed with cranberry juice, and then you're doing some olive oil. Yes, that's a detox. It's cleaning out your body, but it's not the same thing as detoxing from something like a mercury. Okay, mm-hmm. I just want to make that clear. Right. What do you use to detox from mercury? Uh, personally, I use a very specific homeopathic product. There's all kinds of factors in this homeopathic product. Um, it'd be, I, I don't even think I'd be able to, you know, rattle them off to you necessarily. Mm-hmm. There, there's very gentle ways. What you, you know, what you really want to do is you really want to, 
before you do something like that, you want to make sure that your GI health is right. Because once you detox it from the cells and the enzymes, well, then you got to get it out of your body, right? right so right. in terms of providing some information in generalities, you want to make sure that the liver function is kicking along real well. You want to make sure that the colon and the rest of the upper GI, well, especially the colon function is top notch. So you can, once your cells get rid of this stuff, you can get it out of your body. Okay? Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Important. Yes. So, so what about, um, we were talking about the serotonin and dopamine, um, because that would have a lot to do with emotional health, right? That is correct. That is correct. So we mentioned the, uh, the MTHFR-1298 produces uh, serotonin and dopamine, or it has a role, I should say, in producing serotonin and dopamine. But when we get into talking about the influences, um, or a better word might be the, the details of serotonin and dopamine as it relates to uh, some of the human condition again, we start to talk about even some other enzymes, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the MAO enzymes. Uh, we might have heard uh, of MAO inhibitors. Right. Okay, right? Mm-hmm. There's COMT enzymes. And uh, the COMT enzymes, they help degrade or they turn off, like flipping off a light switch, the activity, they process, they break down dopamine, norepinephrine, and the other catecholamines, mm-hmm. okay? About 30 to 40% of the population has a SNP in the COMT, which slows down the breakdown of dopamine. So you end up, you can get too much dopamine hanging around. I, I don't know if I like the the word too much or the description of too much uh, for detail, but in concept, I think we can go ahead and use it. the MAO enzyme when there's SNPs in that one. This is a good example of the fact that SNPs don't always slow down activity. They can also speed up activity and make it hyperactive, right? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So the MAO is responsible for breaking down serotonin. And one of the reasons why, one of the reasons why this, this one is a favorite of mine to talk about is because I personally, uh, when I did my full genome and I ran it through some of these uh, apps and these computer programs you can pull information out of, I found that I had SNPs in both of them, right? Uh So I had too much dopamine because that was slowed down and I had quote unquote too little serotonin because my MAO was sped up and that made the degradation of serotonin very rapid. And so there's this, then this, you know, you can conceive of an imbalance between serotonin and dopamine and that sort of a thing. And, and where this really starts to become a problem, besides the fact that we know that the SSRIs, the reuptake inhibitors that they use are meant to slow down that increased breakdown of serotonin okay said another said another way it's meant to keep the levels of serotonin up right right? Mm -hmm. Uh uh-huh so to to try to even out that balance more but where the real problem becomes is that this especially this combination is extremely toxic to the brain and to the body okay because just because the MAO enzymes that have been hyperactively breaking down serotonin, just because there's not a lot of serotonin for it to break down anymore, it doesn't just stop working, right? Uh, okay. It's then going to start to break down the excess dopamine. And let's just say this isn't the preferred pathway. 
the preferred pathway breaks things down to things like water, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, carbon type of uh, compounds, you know, maybe carbon dioxide, right? So that mm-hmm. we can get rid of these, wa- you know, some waste products. However, the waste products that occur when you have the excess dopamine and the MAOs don't have enough serotonin to break down and they start breaking down dopamine, the waste products that it can produce are things like formaldehyde and ammonia and hydrogen peroxide in our bodies, which it's not unheard of. That happens. It's just when this when this happens in this imbalance, we start to get excess of these things, mm-hmm. right? And that puts excess stress on our bodies for detoxification. And uh, so this, this is where there's major implications in these conversations on depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, hyperactivity. Right, all these different sorts of things that are out there that that, that are um, relative to neurotransmitters. Mm-hmm. So, what I'm hearing is that perhaps if someone is suffering from some of these imbalances, uh, that the place to go is is with the genetic testing. Yes, you really, you know, you really need to. Hey, blood labs are great. You know, they can give you a snapshot of where you are. Changing your diet, changing your environment, your toxic exposure is great, but there is a there is an inherent value to the basic understanding of how your body's going to function with all other things equal in that genetic code. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What can you do if, say, you do the genetic test and you find that you have um, this problem with the COMT and the MAO? degrading serotonin too fast and and turning off the the dopamine what can you do well to keep it simple what i did for myself was i worked on my methylation for a period of time i uh took as a band-aid sam e Mm -hmm. right to help help to normalize you might say the hormones neurotransmitters you don't want to take sam e forever though right you want to you want to more normalize your methylation function. So while you're doing the Band-Aid, SAMe, you can improve methylation. Uh, that, that includes decreasing your gut inflammation. Uh, there's, a, there's just a lot that goes into that. It's really hard to give you one answer on that, okay? Mm-hmm. Again, it can have to do with detoxification, decreasing inflammation, going after infections, these sorts of things that, that influence our body. Then once you get to the point where you are starting to balance out that methylation. Um, well, you know, now you're to a little bit more even keel, you know, and, and you see what's left over, in my opinion. You know, you mm-hmm. see, do I need a little bit of further adrenal support, thyroid support, neurotransmitter support? A lot of these things, though, by fixing some of this, will take care of themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Some people, though, with cardiovascular problems, they'll have to, you know, go from fixing this root cause into now undoing some of the damage that's been done to, say, the cardiovascular system. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that happens in a, in a lot of different conversation topics within health and a lot of different conditions, you might say, where you fix some foundational things and then whatever fixes itself, hey, great, that's good news. Then you can go further and support the things that don't quite completely resolve, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it makes it difficult because, you know, even if we're going to detoxify the body, 
another one of these SNPs will affect even that detoxification. You, we've heard of glutathione, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yep. Mm -hmm. Major antioxidant in the body. In fact, it's kind of like the antioxidants antioxidant. You know, yeah. it helps you recycle the, the other antioxidants. And this is something that 20% of the population can have a SNP in so that your detoxification processes uh, can be compromised. And so there are then steps that you might need to take to foundationally support that before you go through a detoxification process. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's, you know, it's difficult because these are, these are concepts we're talking about right now, Janine, that are fairly, they're relatively new. We know that they're, right. they're the way they are. We understand them, but they're relatively new. And we don't know everything yet. The doctors that have been treating us, if they haven't been looking back, uh, you know, consistently looking at new information, there could be a problem there because, you know, the fact is, is that scientific medical type information, it takes decades often for somebody to, to have a hunch, do some testing on it, and then that information is confirmed, and then it gets into a textbook, right? Mm -hmm. And then it's taught to everybody. And, you know, those medical doctors have, you know, how many years of, of schools and internships that they have to do, and then they're finally out practicing. Well, you know, I mean, just go back to my understanding of genetics and the way we understand it now. I mean, that's, that's nothing more than a, a decade, and a, a major understanding of a biological concept is completely different than what we were than what you were originally taught mm -hmm. and so the way is that the information that had been used to determine the treatment decisions for a person can ultimately be wrong not because the person's a bad person or they, they don't understand but just because this information turns over so quickly and so in reality what we you know what we often realize is that a lot of the treatment decisions are based off of the commercial industry of drugs and pharmaceuticals and what can they create to change uh, symptoms, to change blood levels, and maybe not this type of understanding, right? Mm -hmm. The most current scientific medical information. So there's that kind of disconnect between how people are treated and, and where we get our information that I really wanted to put out there and kind of highlight. Well, that seems to me to be pretty darn important because if if the underlying issue is methylation, regardless of what the diagnosis is, no matter what you're you're taking pharmaceuticals or herbs or supplements or whatever, it's just a band-aid approach. It's not getting at the root cause. I I couldn't have said it better myself. Wrote that down perfectly. <laughs> Absolutely right. Oh, thank you. So how do we address this? What should people do if they, after listening to this, they're thinking, hmm, that sounds like me or, oh, that's, you know, that sounds familiar. Maybe I should look into this. What, what do you suggest? Right. Well, the, the first thing to do is to, you know, it's kind of accept, right? I mean, if you're one of these nine out of 10 people, like you mentioned, that have a pathology that is due to inflammation, that has inflammation involved in it, then we need to say, okay, I need a deeper level of support, okay? And you may not get it from the primary care physician, you know, that you've gone to for all these years, mm -hmm. all right? Mm -hmm. You know, this isn't to say they're, again, they're bad people. They have made out the best intentions. They might be great people. But our friends, our relatives, our loved ones are being treated with cholesterol meds, with beta blockers, with SSRIs and autoimmune drugs that kill, you know, aspects of our immune system. And these are the things they're being treated with. 
but it's all these foundational things that we're actually suffering from, right? So when right. we address this, uh, genetic testing of the full genome is definitely my recommendation, okay? okay? The other sorts of lab tests, like blood tests, saliva tests for some of the hormones, uh, urine tests maybe for toxins, right, mm-hmm. and heavy metals, stool tests for organisms, mm-hmm. okay? These are some of the things that I do regularly with mm-hmm. clients that give us then the environmental information to put together with the genome information so that we get this epigenetic view of function in the body, right? So that kind of, yeah, that kind of speaks towards testing, Mm -hmm. but then uh, an anti-inflammatory diet and nutritional plan, a program is super important to addressing methylation problems, specifically proper amounts and types, I would say, of exercise. We often think, oh, I need to exercise this much this type of day. Well, there's also, it's extremely important to get some cardiovascular, right? To get some resistance type training, to get some balance and proprioceptive training. And so the types of exercise are also very important. Mm-hmm. Another component of treating methylation problems, which it might be obvious from what we've already talked about, is detoxifying the body. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, this is a very broad subject and there's many different ways to detoxify from specific things. And so this shouldn't be viewed as, oh, I did, I did a detox, you know, five years ago. And I didn't, you know, I didn't really feel that much different, so I don't think I probably need to do it again. Well, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, that's not going to support you well, that idea. Um, And then nutritional supplementation is a necessary thing in this day and age because, sadly, our environment isn't capable of supporting it in the way that it used to, you know, decades Mm -hmm. ago. Mm -hmm. It wasn't as dirty. It wasn't as toxic uh, concerning our air, our, our water, and our food. Our food was more nutritious, right? We've covered part of the reason why, and I think our glyphosate discussion that we did. And so these things are all things that need to be handled when it comes to dealing with methylation problems. You know, I would really say that you can't just go to any doctor about this. You have to go to somebody that you are confident has this deep level of understanding, has access to the resources like a lot of these uh, these computer programs and whatnot that can pull the specific data that a trained professional can pull only because they know the relationships of the biochemistry of the gene- of the genetics to the symptoms you're displaying, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we are at, with Functional Health Team. We're extremely happy to support anybody that has these type of questions, but you gotta find somebody who is well versed in these topics because it's very complicated. And not everybody knows about it. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah. I mean, it is. It's. It's. You really have to have a great desire, a drive to really understand this, um, because <clears throat> it is very complex. And I can only imagine how much work it takes to really, really get this whole picture. And not all doctors are interested or have the time or energy to do that. Right. You know. Um, that's absolutely the case. That's absolutely the case in reality. So, you know, we just, when, when we're talking about this is the foundational, a foundational topic, a foundational dysfunction that arises in all these chronic conditions, what, what we really invite people to do as part of, you know, functional health team and the way we like to support people is, you know, if we can imagine that 50% of our population with these chronic conditions 
if they didn't have to see the average of 14 doctors and 37 office visits a year, you know, how much, how much more time and less stress are they going to have in their lives? You know, how much money are they going to save? Even though this can be very complicated in a discussion, not everybody has all of these things, right? Right. And so, you know, identifying what is going on through somebody who can understand these difficult concepts can really break it down, focus in on the most important aspects that are actually going on with you. You know, how much money are you going to save over time uh, and frustration are you going to save by addressing those actual problems rather than throwing the money down the tube on on the prescription every month? You know, mm-hmm. you know, and, and how much healthier can a person be if they have a team of professionals that can help them understand one person is, is maybe an expert in detoxification, right? Mm-hmm. And they can lead them down only the detox methods they need for that. Uh, one person, you know, might be an expert professional in nutrition and dietetics, right? And and they supply that component. And then you've got your functional medicine practitioner that can kind of pull everything together and look at the big picture and, and help work through that. Uh, maybe a, a coach. We involve emotional training and core alignment. And we have coaches that help us to overcome a lot of the the poor thought processes, right? And the bad ideas about ourselves that come when you've had neurotransmitter imbalances like I did for years. You know, I was a depression sufferer, right? And I never took an SSRI. And I can just tell you, we, it was fixed. You know, it was fixed by combining these sorts of things in, in a full type of support. So that's the vision of, of that I have for healthcare moving forward. I'm not shy about saying that I've built functional health team to really supply that type of support for people. That's kind of the, um, the, the greater message that I, that I work to get out there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I think your, your whole concept with the functional health team is very progressive and probably ahead of its time. <laughs> you're, you're a visionary. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I, uh, I, I'm not one to take compliments well, but hopefully it's not too visionary that we can uh, uh, explain it to to people who need it, right? People that are suffering from these conditions, they can kind of they can get it, and they can see why that sort of support is going to work, and why medicating something into submission is. We don't suffer from deficiencies in prescription drugs, right? That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, just it's a different approach, and, and hopefully we can communicate why it is an approach that ultimately, even though you take small steps to build uh, over over time, it's something that actually can help people recover and get healthier. Mm-hmm. Because you really are focusing on what is the root cause, and then building from there instead of the other method, which seems to be. What's the symptom? Let's tackle the symptom. And yeah. so from my perspective, if a person has been having health issues for an extended period of time and they're on different medications, they've tried natural approaches and nothing seems to be helping. Or if you're like me, just about everything I try, I have tried in the past helps, but it's like it helps for a little bit and then, you know, nothing seems to happen. Yeah. Um, to me, yeah. that's an indication that I'm taking the wrong approach, right? That I that a well, different approach yeah. needs to be had, an approach that is really 
looking at and attempting to get at what is the root cause because if you can if you can tackle the root cause then to me once again it's kind of like a domino effect then everything else can start falling into place right well and and, and, I, and I'm actually I'm glad you brought that up I I hadn't really thought to to, to address that but um yes you know there are a lot of things out there that can help and they can work however the root cause that's the important thing and and if you haven't found it yet it's not necessarily because you're never going to get healthy you just might have not found the right uh you know person or the right types of support unfortunately i find the evidence of chronic infection of all kinds of things bacteria viruses protozoans which are single cell parasites maybe multicellular parasites yeast fungus bacteriophages the list goes on and on and on that get covered up because there's multiple factors going on in the body and so often a doctor will never see the implications of those things in your immune system when they look at your general blood work right mm-hmm. it's much more difficult it's much more complicated there's more work that can go into it if you're somebody that has struggled with finding answers there's much more that can be done even when you've had all the tests done you know um it could really come down to uh who was looking at it and um you know and, and what kind of processes were you engaged in so as a, a a final note what would you say to someone who this all sounds really good to them but it also sounds pretty overwhelming yeah um well <laughs> that is that's a great question because you know when I first started practicing this stuff in functional medicine that is the problem I had and that's the problem that a lot of uh, that a lot of functional medicine uh, practitioners and clients realize notice and with functional health team I decided to solve as many problems as I could I could get my grubby little hands on right <laughs> and so the way I addressed this is that functional health team uh, the, the process you go through, it's a membership type of situation. So we're not going to try to do everything at once, okay? okay? We're going to start by gathering as much information as we can, right? Mm-hmm. That includes information about what in your life is going to make doing dietary changes difficult, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You only have 30 minutes for your lunch hour, and so it you, what are you going to do besides grab something that's nearest to you and probably not healthy? Mm-hmm. So each month, a client will have a goal that they're working on in their nutrition, in their detoxification, on their functional medicine action plan, on their emotional coaching, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe they're doing something with a music therapist to help stress responses. Maybe, you know, they need to have a pharmacist uh, consultation so that they can work through their list of medications and and how are they going to address this in each category that's important for somebody there's just one thing we're tackling each month one Mm -hmm. thing at a time Mm -hmm. and that's a process that we call kaizen i mean i didn't come up with it it's a it's a japanese Mm -hmm. term and it means good change Mm -hmm. okay i and zen good change uh is what that translates to and good change is built upon looking at data making a plan and executing one thing at a time so that over time you build upon what's come before, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. 
And so that's the way we approach support. We're not trying to change everything at once. The, the you know a, a client along with their care coordinator discusses and creates an action plan, and then that client can then go to each of the individual categories and and line up. Okay, here's what I'm doing this month. Here's what I'm going to do next month. Here's what I'm going to do the month after that. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it, it's just meant to be baby steps, little little bits at a time. Awesome. Awesome. Yep. So how can people get a hold of you if they're interested and they'd like to check out what you're doing? How can they do that? Yeah, just go to uh, either connect with us uh, via phone or online uh, at functionalhealthteam.com. Mm-hmm. I noticed that the website isn't up yet. Uh, they were doing a, they were actually adding a client support mechanism to it here lately, which is a kind of on demand, uh, uh, help box, kind of that like little thing that occurs down in the bottom corner where it's like, Hey, do you need help? Uh, right. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they were adding that function to it. So it, it, it's, it's down while they add that, Got um, it. you know, when you change the website for just little bits of information or I post up something like this podcast or a video that I've done, that doesn't take much. But when they're doing something constructive to it, they have to kind of take it down for that. But uh, if you go to functionalhealthteam.com, you can connect with us. And then you could also connect with us through our Facebook page, which is, again, uh, if you search on Facebook for Functional Health Team. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we've got a number of different social uh, outlets out there, uh, Twitter, um, Instagram, all that stuff. So. Okay. Awesome. Not hiding from you. No. <laughs> so if someone does go to the website, functionalhealthteam.com, and it's not up, um, it's just because it's a work in progress and something's being improved. Right. And yeah. they should we're, go back. You know, we're working hard at making that website all the time better and more supportive for people. So, you know, another thing that could be done if uh, you, if you find that's the case, you can always email us at info, I-N-F-O, mm-hmm. at functionalhealthteam.com and that's T-E-A-M. Great. Info at functionalhealthteam.com. Yeah, that's another way. Awesome. Thank you so much, Matt. This has been, you know, I really, really appreciate all of the time and effort that you donate to getting this information out to people. And from my perspective, the better educated we are about anything at all, the better decisions we can make. And I think, you know, health is obviously so important. It's probably right at the top of the list for each individual, unless they're really healthy, you don't think about it. But if you're not feeling too great, you know, nothing else really, really matters all that much. It um, doesn't make any difference what you have or you don't have if you're if you're not feeling well. That's really the number one thing is to get yourself feeling better so you can enjoy whatever life brings to you yeah what do they say if you don't have your health what do you have right exactly exactly yeah and the approach the functional uh, medicine approach to me is much more comprehensive and it's not a band-aid approach it's not a one-size-fits-all so it is going to take some some effort to get at what is going on for that individual it seems to me that that once you do once you uncover what what really the underlying parameters are of of their not feeling well, then you can really, really work at improving a person's health and getting their systems back online. I mean, to me, your your body should be able to heal itself. Your body should be able to do right. what it needs to stay healthy. And 
through, you know, many insults to the body, whether it be the environment or our emotions or our, our nutrition or our, our what we're doing physically, you know, sometimes the body just can't can't seem to snap back and recover. So it feels to me like the work that you and your fellow functional medicine doctors are doing is definitely a step in the right direction and I can see that it's it's something that's still evolving that is it's not static so there's always going to be new protocols and new understandings of, of what's going on and I think it's very exciting you're in a very exciting field and, and I would imagine that it's a lot of fun it is it is and, and I want to thank you also for the time you put into uh, getting this information out there and to connecting with all the people you do, um, because without without you, we'd be uh, you know we'd, we'd be sitting in our in our uh, office talking to ourselves, you know. So. <laughs> well, we wouldn't thank you want so that. Much. No, no, no. But, um, but thank you very much. I appreciate uh, it. Thank you, Matt. This has been awesome, and uh, uh, we will we will continue the conversation on another topic at another time. Perfect. Sounds great. Dr. Matt Flory of Functional Health Team. He's the founder of the Functional Health Team. And you can find him at functionalhealthteam.com. Take care. That brings us to the end of our show. I hope you had fun and learned something useful. Keeping it real with Janine. Your guide to living an authentic, healthy life comes out every two weeks. Find our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app, where you can rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on a great conversation. Show notes can be found on our podcast website, realjanine.com, as well as links to guests' web pages. You can also leave comments or questions and sign up for the Real Janine mail list to keep up on new episodes. Remember, Janine, J-A-N-E-A-N. Thanks for listening. Take care and be well.